there. Do you love kindling conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote. But do it soon, because voting closes April 1st. Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. My daughter is six now, and lately... I have been confronted by some pretty dramatic outbursts. Some mornings she'll get up and she's yelling about everything. If I ask her to speak nicely, she'll yell that I'm not speaking nicely to her. She'll yell at her brother about the cereal, slam the door to the kitchen. It's surprising to me because I know she has a really good heart and often what she's saying makes no sense to anyone. So she's six. I know that younger kids often don't make sense and that's normal, but she normally makes sense. And I suspect it doesn't even make sense to herself. It's like she's pulling the worst insults she can find out of her. And I'm at a loss on how to deal with her anger. Dr. Vanessa Lapont is a psychologist and author of Discipline Without Damage, and she's here as part of Maggie Dent's Raising Children Who Shine conference. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm very well. Hello. So we talk a lot about toddler tantrums, but by six or even by five, our children seem more capable of expressing their emotions. They're more articulate. But what's happening in their brain when they get angry at six, when Mm -hmm. it seems like they're having a tantrum. And they really should be over that already, shouldn't they? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I know it. (laughs) So when you're six, there's a few things going on for you developmentally, which actually are really important. The first is that you're moving through from being somebody who thinks in very concrete terms to being somebody who takes on a lot more abstract thought. And what can happen for a lot of our littles as they move through that stage of development is they kind of freak themselves out. And so you can see almost a regression of sorts in their behavior because they're getting unsettled by their own mind. The other thing that's happening is that their um, frontal and prefrontal cortex, so the outer layers of the brain, which thicken up in a wave-like pattern starting sort of at the base and the back of the brain and push on forward to the front, they're sort of just coming online. And what that translates into is that kids are going to be much more capable at times of mixing their thoughts, being able to have two big thoughts live side by side. Like mommy's asking me to get ready for school and I know that that's going to make the morning go more smoothly if I just do what mommy's asking. Thought number one. Thought number two might be, and I really don't want to. (laughs) Right? And so (laughs) to manage some self-control and some emotional regulation around that, you have to be able to hold on to both those thoughts at the same time. When you're five, maybe six, 
you're just beginning to be capable of that. And we get treated to that as parents. And we're like, yes, we've landed. (laughs) The toddler years are over. And then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out of it. And we think, what's happened? And it's just because they're practicing this skill. They're not fluent in it yet. And so over the next couple of years, that neural wiring will become much more solid. And you'll find that she's able to hang on to herself a little better. (laughs) Well, I hope so. I mean... As a parent, I think what happens to me when she's getting angry, and this happened only this week in the morning, um, I just immediately went to, oh my Lord, if she's speaking to me this like this now, what's mm-hmm. she going to be like when she's 15? Mm-hmm. And so that made me more worried about her behavior and also really conscious of how I was handling it. Yeah. What would you say to that as a parent who's looking at an angry child who might be yelling might be rude, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, if I let this behavior slide now, mm-hmm. I've got no hope when they're a teenager. So I would give you two things to think about. The first is to really take to heart that development is a real thing. And what we <laughs> see now in our children, and, and especially how we respond to it now, if we be very empathetic and very accepting of all of these big emotions, which is what I always encourage parents to do, create a really big invitation for the big emotions. Better out than in, as Freud said, that which stays in festers. (laughs) And so we don't want it to stay in. We want it to come out. And when it comes out, it's a moving kind of emotion. And if we can respond with empathy, what we do is we grow neural connections that increasingly will promote capacity for self-regulation. And that's going to look very different at age 15 than at age 6. So when we can really sort of put our faith in the developmental process and trust nature to do its job, it releases us from some of that fear. Speaking of fear, that's the second thing that I would bring you to think about, that we often are tripped, our own wires get tripped by the communication of our children's big emotions. When our kids come at us with anger, when they come at us with criticism, when they come at us with with upset, we go to an alarmed kind of place inside of us, which actually takes us out of our adult brains and into our regressed brains. And what I mean by that is you become emotional and you become angry and all anger is regression, which means you're probably in that moment neurologically more like four or five years old. And so you might find that you start to respond with fear and reactivity that's more typical of a child (laughs) than of an adult. And usually that has to do with our own experiences in childhood, who was angry at us, how big feelings were handled in our families, those kinds of things. So I always just encourage parents to be aware of that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Vanessa LaPont. She's the author of Discipline Without Damage. She's here in Australia from Canada as part of Maggie Dent's Raising Children Who Shine conference, where she is speaking about discipline without damage. She also has some side events, which I'll tell you about in a minute, where she's talking about anger. But that's my thing that I wanted to talk to her about. Um, You were just mentioning then, Vanessa, about how we respond as adults to that sort of anger or them being rude or however they're not managing their emotions. What about if it feels like she's being mean to her brother? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to expect myself to be adult about her behavior. How do I help her brother who's younger than her deal with that kind of 
anger. Mm-hmm. And lots of times we can get worried about those developing sibling dynamics. And whenever there's a problem between siblings, we tend to sort of want to pin that on the relationship between those two children. But in actual fact, the research shows us that wherever there's challenges between siblings, it's because we need to actually cement the relationship between child and parent a little more so. And so in that particular instance, what we would want to think about, first of all, is that her behavior is her behavior. We won't make her wrong for that behavior. Uh, She has to actually act that way in order to figure out how to grow up. And so we're going to welcome all of those big feelings. We also want for her brother to feel safe. And so we're going to have both of them uh, witness you as the kind of caring but firm big person who steps in and does what I call drops a flag, where you say something like, those are not words we use. This will stop. And then you move right into empathy, empathy for her and empathy for brother. So empathy for her would sound like, and I know you're having a big feeling and it's so hard to be a big sister. I really get why you're struggling. Uh, And maybe at the same time, you've got soft eyes for your little boy so that he knows you're also thinking of him in that moment. You might say, I'm just going to grab your sister a drink of water. I'm coming right back, buddy. You hang tight. I've got you. We're all good. So that you're, you're putting some boundaries in place that nobody's been uh, made wrong for anything and that everybody comes out of the situation feeling safe because you were capable and competent in the relationship that you have with each of them. Speaking of that relationship between both of them, there are times when I suspect that if she gets really angry, I think maybe we need to spend more time together, that she remembers or says she remembers when she was the only child before her brother came along. She was only two and a half, so I'm not sure she does. But still, I know there might be children who are quite fine hanging out with both their mum, their dad and their siblings at the same time and only need maybe 10 minutes of one-on-one time. But could it be true that there are some children who need more than that? Yes. And so one of the things that we would look at is sensitivity and temperament. And for kids who are very intense, very sensitive, they often also are very bright kind of children. Um, And so they have a lot of of pluses that go alongside with that, but it means that their tank gets emptied out a lot more quickly. And we know from the science of child development that the way to fill up a child's tank is to really spend one-on-one connected time with them in whatever way resonates with who they are. So if a child is intense and sensitive, probably quiet activities or activities where there aren't a lot of people that they have to kind of manage and deal with. They don't have to deal with um, the problematic little brother (laughs) or, or other people intruding on the dynamic, that that probably is going to be a little bit more cup filling. And so um, we would certainly want to think about that piece of things. One of the things my husband often says to me when I worry about her getting angry and yelling at us is I'm like, well, what if she's like that with her friends? And he says, I'm sure she's not like that at school. Would that be a common occurrence that parents can look at their child's behavior and go, oh my God, you're appalling. You're not going to have any friends. No one's wanting to talk to you. But really... They're doing it at home, but they're not doing it outside. Yeah. And in fact, when your child is um, coming at you and communicating all of their big, awful, messy feelings to you, it means as a parent that you have one. <laughs> <laughs> I like you I like are winning you're this. because children will only let those big emotions go with their chosen 
comforters. And then they tend to kind of shelve them or keep them tucked away in front of others where the hierarchy isn't there, like the big person, little person hierarchy, and the compassionate, caring relationship that we experience as children at the hands of our big people isn't present. And so when a child is coming at you big and awful, more than likely, particularly once they reach about age five or six, they're saving those emotions for you. I remember when my (laughs) son was in his first grade, um, we would come out of the school and barely have hit the parking lot. And he would just be like a two-year-old. It was it was horrific. And I was the worst parent ever. And he was melting down in the parking lot. And he was awful and sweet as pie during his <laughs> school day. So he saved it up. He saved, and that's, that's love. Um, <laughs> that's right. With anger, is it ever about uh, what they see? So when it comes to role modeling, um, if a parent is very expressive with their anger, if they're quick to yell, if they um, have a short fuse, does that influence how a child expresses those big emotions? Sure. So children are going to soak up what is in their environment. And if they're marinating in an environment of short fuses and quick to angry kind of big people, then they will learn um, that that is the way that we handle our emotions. And so more likely will be the kind of child that's going to come out um, with those sorts of things ongoing. See, there's a a certain part of a child's explosive anger that really is just developmental. It's just about where they're at developmentally. But there's that nature-nurture piece where the environment around is also going to soak in and affect the child. Ultimately, what we want is that children do see that it's okay to communicate your big emotions uh, and that those big emotions, once communicated, feel Uh, like they're moving and they get resolved and we land somewhere a little more um, safe. It's not great for kids to be exposed to a lot of yelly, shouty, ugh sort of parenting dynamics, um, either between the two parents, if there's strife in the home or from parent to child. It um, has their amygdalas all fired up. It leads to them being more dysregulated. And because neuroplasticity is a real thing, the more dysregulated you are, the more likely you're going to be incapable of regulating self down the road. So what if there is one shouty parent and one calm parent? Mm. How does that, because if as an adult, you, for me anyway, um, the shoutiness feels stronger than the calmness. Mm-hmm. If I was in a room and someone was shouting and someone was meditating in the corner, I'd probably feel more unsettled than calm. I mean, is that the same for children? I think so. And the most important thing to know as a parent is that it really does only take one to have the child feeling like they're safe and everything's going to be okay. And because I work with a lot of families, I see across many homes that exact dynamic where there's one parent that kind of goes more to the firm, strict, almost kind of mean um, place. And then the other parent who's the super soft, gentle, caring, kind of spineless jellyfish place. (laughs) And so it's hard to strike the balance between. Um, And sometimes our children just have to contend with the reality that every now and then adults fail at this. Like every now and then we're also just human beings and we mess it up. And if you're the adult that's done that, that you come back around to your child and you let them know, you know, mommy's not happy with how that went. I had some yelly shouty words and I didn't like that that happened. And it's done now. And you and I, we're good. If it happens that you're the gentle parent and you just can't seem to, um, 
convince the other parent that this yelly shuddy piece isn't working out, it is appropriate for you to step in between and say, daddy's having a hard time, or if or if you're other way around, mommy's having a hard time, and then invite child to kind of exit stage left. You can head outside for a play or run some kind of interference so that they witness you keeping them safe in that dynamic. Well, that's a great point to end on. I won't say what parent I am. (laughs) Vanessa, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. That's Dr. Vanessa Lapont. She's the author of Discipline Without Damage. As I mentioned, she's in Australia as part of Maggie Dent's Raising Children Who Shine conference. Vanessa is also speaking on anger and eruptions in Sydney on Monday, March 26. You can head to our website, kindling.com.au, for more details. there. Do you love Kindling Conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote. But do it soon because voting closes April 1st.